Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Yep. I'm just trying to just trying to get it all done. Yeah, you got a lot happening today. A lot going on. A lot going on every day now. Yeah. Yeah, just trying to keep it all keep it all going. Keep it all it, all the ducks got to get the ducks lined what, up. What's changed that you went kind of from maybe a lull to super super involved in a lot of things? Oh, I just feel like um Maybe it's it was less of a lull before than I let on. Oh. And now it's uh yeah, it's just all happening. It's all happening. I'm going to Washington DC next week and um for what? Just just going to wander around just looking at the museums. I'm taking my little girl and we're going to go poke our heads in some places. She's going to see the pencil monument. She's going to see the Room at the Natural History Museum with all the bird skeletons. Oh, cool. She's going to see the Lincoln Memorial, which she knows quite a bit about. Does uh, she have time off from school, or are you just taking taking the time? Well, Dan, this is really... This is life education, right? Well, but this is a, this is a, a serious problem here, because the Seattle School District is not very forgiving... I don't imagine very many are anymore. When I was a kid, my dad would come into class and say, I'm taking him to Washington, D.C. I'll see you when I get back. And right. you know, no, nobody cared. I was going to Washington, D.C. with my dad. But now you walk in and you're like, I'm taking my kid to Washington, D.C. And they're like, well, more than 10 unexcused absences. And we put her in child protective services. It's like, it's not unexcused. I'm excusing her. It's not like she's, you know, but they've got... <clears throat> What they do is they make it seem like they're they're really doing it on behalf of your kid. They'll send you all this stuff that's like statistics show that kids that don't attend school end up in a bread line in 1932. <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't know, man. Statistics are – there are lies and then there are statistics. But also, what are you talking about? She's a first grader. You really talking about her not graduating from high school? Is that really what we're on about? I don't think so. And I, what it is is that the that if kids like for some fucked up reason, the legislature gives the schools money directly based on not just like who's enrolled, but daily attendance. Really. So if your kid is out of school for five unexcused absences, the school gets, I don't know what, 600 less dollars? Really? I don't know if that's true, but that's what they make it sound like. Anyway, so I, as you know, as you can imagine, I'm of the opinion that if your parent is going to take you on a trip somewhere where you're learning stuff and it's an exciting adventure into the world – that's not necessarily better than school, but if she's also doing homework at night and she's keeping a journal and which she does when she's on trips with me, writes about what she did that day, draws a picture in a book, you know, we try and do her math. Come on. So I've got to go down and we've got a new teacher, right? And, and so I've got to go down and talk to the principal and talk to the teacher. And I think they're going to probably say it's fine. Yeah. 
but they're also going to say, but more than 10 unexcused absences and we have to put her in child protective services. That's insane to me. That is simply insane. But what's an unexcused absence count? Like how do you, what's excused versus unexcused? Unexcused is anything that is not. Not a doctor's note? Yeah, that they don't excuse. It's like if you have a doctor's note, I guess that's an excused absence. I always thought excused meant your parents said it was okay. In the old days, yeah. I think it in, in our day, it meant you weren't just on your own, but that an, an adult said it was all right for you to be out. Right, right. But now it is the school that decides whether oh. it's okay that you be out. And I've got, I've got half a dozen trips planned during, you know, already between the beginning and end of her first grade year. Going to Washington, D.C., we'll go to Hawaii. Maybe we'll, you know, there's like, I do work. I take her with me. Right. Her mom. Her mom now travels for work. Like there's a conference in Korea. Hmm. Like, well, should we go to Korea for ten days? Yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah, I think that you know, I think that's good for a first grader. I mean, she'll miss like some coursework, <laughs> but an awful lot of coursework is coloring. <laughs> She can do that with us anyway. So, but, but, um, yeah, I got a busy day today. Today is my last, I think last official seafare duty of the summer. I'm knighting like 20 people who all were, um, volunteers, seafare volunteers, you know, like the head of the clowns and the head of the pirates and, uh, you know, give them all their, give them all their ribbon and um, they like it. You know, everybody likes being knighted. I think most, most of the people that I'm knighting today uh, have all already been knighted in the past because they're all longtime seafarer volunteers. So it's a little bit like double knighting, but I don't know. It'll be nice to see everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got to go do that. What's going on with you? You know, I, you've been posting a lot of watches on the internet. Yeah, and um, I sold a couple. I, that's what I was posting them for. Well, that's impressive. And, you know, you've always sort of said, oh, yeah, I got these watches. But I didn't realize how extensive your watch collection was. And that, you know, your Omegas are real turn-ons to me. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, you look probably like my, the one that was my granddad's, I bet, from the mid, okay. mid-50s. I do like it. That but you have awesome. A, you have another one or two don't you I have, one, I have one other one which is a newer a newer one a seamaster yeah that's a very attractive watch yeah there's they're beautiful watches and uh it's it's by far my favorite and it, i mean i it, they're not cheap but it's um that's the, the one that I'd always yeah that's one i'd always wanted that one really yeah well anyway it's been very interesting following along with you what um <laughs> What uh, is going on? What's what's your what's your story? Why I sold them, or just what's going on with me in general? Uh, both. Why why are you selling watches, and and what uh, what's your what's going on? What's you know, going on with you? I'm I don't really feel like I don't I don't own a lot of things. Like I was I was thinking about this the other day. Like the stuff that's in my house. I mean, technically, like technically, I guess I own some of it, or half of it, or all of it. I don't I don't know. But none of it, like I use, like we have silverware that I use. We have pots and pans I use. 
I use the house, you know, I sit on the sofa, that kind of table, that kind of stuff. But that's furniture. Like as far as like actual things I think of as my possessions, I have very, very little. Everything that that I own uh, could fit easily into a single suitcase, regular, regular size suitcase. Wait a minute. What? Well, I mean, it can't fit a car. I own a car. No, no, no. But you're saying to me that all the things that matter to you, all of the earthly possessions, the worldly possessions that matter to you will fit in a suitcase? Easily. Um, average size suitcase. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm including all of my clothes, uh, a couple pairs of shoes. That's going to, the shoes are going to take, that might skew everything, come to think of it. Because the shoes, they take up space, even if you, you know, put them together so they're like facing each other like in the box when you get them that takes up space so if uh-huh. we take let's take the shoes out of the mix and i say i'm wearing the shoes well one of the one of the one pairs pair of, of shoes. shoes i might have two other pairs that i would need okay uh everything else would fit into the into the one suitcase easily easily and this includes your watches and everything. your your pistoles yeah everything uh-huh photo photo album i don't own any Grandparents photos? None. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have that much stuff. I could all fit. It could all fit. Into, like if you said, Dan, you're, com- you're coming to live with me. I'd be mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm, I'm coming. I would load everything I, everything I needed. I could ch- put in a checked suitcase. Except uh-huh. for the, the shoes. I think the shoes are going to fit, Dan. But they're just, they're sneakers. I got, you know, like yeah. New yeah, Balance yeah. and stuff like that. It's not like they're expensive shoes or anything. Well, yeah, they sell those out here too. If I was going to have you come live with me, I might just say, get a new pair get of a new pair. Shoes. Once you get there, what I, you know, like what I have to bring toiletries. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, uh, well, I think the word is gobsmacked that we are seriously talking about whether or not to fit a second pair of tennis shoes in your life bag. Yeah. Not, not even like you have a go your- bag. That go bag is essentially <laughs> everything I own. I I, got, I don't know why. Well, now the more I think about it, the more I feel like there's a couple exceptions. I got the sneakers. Yeah, there's the a sneakers. Sh- the I shotgun love you keep coming back to the sneakers. Well, they're important. The shotgun isn't going to fit into the regular bag. Plus, I no, can't. I, I'm going to allow a uh, like a, a rifle case. Okay. Well, then I'm set. Then I'm totally set. <laughs> but you oh, know, like crazy. the albums. I think my mom has some of those albums. You know, like uh-huh, you like, but, so. but they're not mine. You know, they're hers. She has them in down in you Florida. Don't, you don't have any pictures. No. Uh, you didn't keep any letters from anybody. No. Nothing from, no no schoolwork from when you were a child. Your mom's maybe got some of that. She in probably box. has a couple things I drew when I was a kid. You know, little books and stuff. I used to draw little cartoony things. She's got that. So, but I don't want so, that. I mean, if she's like, here, take it back. I'd be, she, she gave me a mess of that stuff at one point. And I immediately turned it over to my kids and said, guys, here's some stuff I did. And they, they may have it, but I, yeah, I don't your have kids that. might Your kids might have archived your stuff? Well, I think they used – I remember one thing that I had, I had drawn a picture of. Um, uh, there was something I had seen in a Mad Magazine or something like that where it was like um, uh, something you put on your door that's like monsters inside, you know, beware, keep out, you know, that kind of thing. And – um and so I had drawn my own, I think it was my friend's magazine. So I had sort of drawn my own version of that. And it said like, you know, like 
Danny lives here or something. And my son, I gave him that and he scratched out Danny and, and put his name, mm-hmm. you know, he said, Joel, Joel lives here now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like that. I remember he had that. I don't remember what else it, it says on there. So Dan, <clears throat> how is it? But I do have a bunch no- of watches, but see, they're going to fit in a watch roll and that takes up the si- space of a sock, you know, I'm done. Yeah. I don't know what a watch roll is, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing what it is. A roll of watches. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you've gone through what I'm going to call 25 years of adulthood. Yeah. Plus 10 years of, of uh, late childhood student years. Right. Sure. Without anything sticking to you at all. Like nothing stuck to you at all. Just slid yeah. off all the, all the stuff. Yeah. I don't have I don't no, have anything. You don't have a lucky hat. No. I actually just got rid of a couple hats cuz I, f- I found them in the back of a closet and what do I have these crap for? Mhm. What do I have these crap for? The Dan <laughs> Benjamin story. <laughs> right. No, I don't have anything. I there's no, you know, no physical you know, things have a value. I I enjoy the few watches I have. I enjoy you know, I have a nice, a nice iPhone Seven Plus that has a meaning to me. I have the sneakers that are important. I've got a belt that I'm wearing today that performs oh, a good belt. job. Yeah, I bet that'll fit in the bag. Yeah. I mean, Dan, I have forty vintage wooden coat hangers. I know. Yeah, I know you that do. I would <laughs> that I would be hard pressed to give away because each one of them tells a story of a San Francisco hotel in the 1940s. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I appreciate that. I truly do. I, I don't have any equivalent of that at all. I have nothing, nothing I, I'm not like sure that. that. I'm not sure that I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm like so stunned. <laughs> I'm so stunned to consider, to contemplate. I would love to just clean out your house. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> There's now growing a small cabal of people <laughs> who want who want to do me what they consider to be the enormous favor of coming in and just putting it all into some kind of enormous yard sale. Right. You know, state which, sale. Which will be yeah, right, which will be staffed by them. And pricing decisions and, you know, decisions whether or not things are going to go made by these, made by others. Now you have included yourself. Yeah, I'll I'll be a president or VP of that group. And I have to just sit there tied to a chair. Oh, I wouldn't make you watch. I'd do this while you're in Washington or Hawaii or something. You'd come back to clean house. Mm, Boy. So, I don't know. That's astonishing. No year, no high school yearbooks. Uh, no, nothing like that. What do I want that for? Nothing like that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> what nothing do I want the, that for? I was there. I remember the it. Category. One of day, one day I won't remember it and mm-hmm. that's fine. It'll be gone. Someone else can remember it. I don't need that. Carry that around with me. Yeah, I agree. I cannot argue with it. You know, we it's have, just, we have, there, there are some things like, um, uh, uh, we have some pictures of like, you know, when your kids go and they get the, the portrait done and like they get the class portrait and then they get their individual portrait 
you know, I, we, I know that my wife has archived those. We have lots of digital pictures of our kids, but as far as like printed out pictures, I remember maybe 10 or so years ago, I went through a catalog of all our old photos that I didn't want to keep anymore and have like hanging out and I scanned them in. So they are digital. So those are all, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in the, in the cloud somewhere. The, uh, the, the physical photos were, I don't know where those are. If we still they have were dragging them, you down, I don't need that. Uh, I'm sure my wife still has them somewhere, but that's not mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think of that as that's not something I would ever look at or look for or have or bothered to pick up and, and take with me. It's gone. Right. I don't have any. There's nothing. Nothing I want to see. What a old report card. I don't want that. My grades were bad. I don't want to be reminded of that. Let it go. Uh-huh. Let it go. And the grades that were good. You know, my high school diploma, gone. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. <laughs> well, you know, but I feel like, you know, th- there's like there are things that my kids have made. And uh, and I, I think those things are fun. Threw and, those right in the fire. No, too. no, no. Um, my daughter, is, as I'm sure yours does, generates so much artwork in just a day that uh, we gave her several of those, you know, the banker's box, like those kind of boxes. And she's filled like three of them in just a few months of just stuff. And we said, listen, you get a, you've got to pick your favorites out. You can't keep everything. But she's keeping everything. Everything gets saved. Every single thing. So if that makes her happy, I mean, that's fine. We make room for it. We had a closet to put it in. But as far as like me, if I'm coming to live with John, I get a suitcase and that's that's pretty much it. That's all I need. And even that, so, I try and try and think of like, what do I really, I haven't worn this shirt in a month. I probably could donate that and donate. I donated a pile of clothes, probably 10, 15 shirts, button front shirts. I don't need anything extra, you know, just what I use. And then the rest can go. If I, I have a system for that too. What I'll do is if it's like stuff and I don't know what it is, what you do is you take it and you put it, you get a box, you put it in the box with a bunch of other stuff. You tape up the box and you put a date on it. And if in six months you haven't needed anything out of that box, then you put the box in the back of your car and you take it to the place and donate it. You don't even have to open the box again. Just donate that. If you did need to get something out of it, then that thing can go into the next box the next time. And whatever you didn't take out of it goes to donation. And this helps you get rid of the stuff that you don't, that you don't need anymore. I don't have any sentimental value though, really to, to very many things. I have a cool, I think I've talked about this, this thing. My granddad was a metallurgist, uh, and uh, worked for the government, worked for the, uh, I guess, somehow through the army for World War II and uh, did a lot of traveling. And one of the many places he went was he went to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt looking at the Sphinx, he was sort of inspired. So when he came back, he took a chunk of copper. And I, I'm sure I've talked about this. And he, he, I don't know how one carves copper. I don't know what was involved in that. But he sort of sculpted it into a, something that's sort of reminiscent of the Sphinx sort of 
And he made that. And it's like this copper sculpture thing. Uh, I still have that. That's pretty cool. I would, I keep, I'm keeping that. Um, that goes in the bag. That's in the bag. That's something that's like an item. Like if you said, Oh Dan, you know that, that, uh, Omega watch that you have, you know, the Omega Seamaster that's gone now, but here, here's a financial, uh, reimbursement for it. That'd be fine. Like the actual watch itself. I don't have like, Oh, that's the watch that I wore the first time. I, yes, that's fine. It's gone. It's okay. Somebody could buy it from you, in other words. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to sell it, but yeah, like I would sell it and I wouldn't, like when I sold, you know, moved out of a house or traded in a car, like I don't, I'm like, oh, the memories we had in that house and the first, my kids' first steps were like, no, I'm just getting out, done. Yeah. Done. Kid's here, he's fine. Well, so, I got him today. So what, um... But it's not that you I don't know, appreciate so, it. Like, I, I mean, my mom is very sentimental about everything, everything, like almost to the point where like you put a, you know, you put something down to the trash. She's like, oh, the, the poor stapler, it's going in the trash. You know, like, <laughs> mom, it can go. <laughs> it can, really can go. <laughs> well, John, we got to do our first sponsor now. And uh, it's a new one for us. It's a really cool one. Brooklinen. And uh, this is really cool. This is a new you know, we, we've talked about comfort. I feel like a, that's a, a running theme on our show is, is comfort. Or maybe it's an underlying theme on the show. But Brooklinen makes bedding. They make sheets. And they're really awesome. If you think about it, you spend a third of your life in your sheets, right? And uh, you, you, you might stand there looking at your bed and you should be asking yourself, are these sheets taking care of me the way that they should be? Are these sheets that I love? I want to love the things that I own, the few things that I own. Why not have some some lovely sheets you can get? These are high quality sheets and bedding at a price that won't uh, won't stress you out. It won't. Uh, it's not going to break the bank because this is the thing. You can look at the sheets. You probably had the same sheets for decades. And this is getting new sheets is a great way to like upgrade your entire sleeping experience. There's nothing like a good set of sheets on your bed. You know what I'm talking about? You lay down, it's you, you're going to, you're going to sleep better. You're going to get better rest. You're going to get better quality sleep. And most, uh-huh. the thing is most high end bedding, they mark it up by like 300% by the time that it reaches the store. So what, why, why is this? Why, why does high end bedding get, that's the scam. It's a scam. You get really confused looking at bedding, right? I mean, all the different thread counts that you have to figure out, and it all feels like baloney after a while. You go look at, oh, this one's 900 thread count. It's like, what does that mean? What does it even mean? mean? What does it even mean? I don't even even know what it means. Well, so this is the thing. Brooklyn and changes it. They make really quality luxury sheets, and they make it accessible to everyone. It was started, I guess, three or four years ago, husband and wife team who – I guess they were traveling and they found that the sheets that they were sleeping on in, in the place they were staying was like way better. And they're like, why can't we get sheets like this? Like for our house? Like, why do we have to go and stay at some, I don't know where some Chateau in France. I don't know where they were. Yeah. Chateau in France. Well, yeah. Let's and they're like, why are these sheets so good? Why can't we get sheets like this? And they started investigating it and they found that they can, but it's going to break the bank. And they said, we, right. we can probably change this. So that was like their, I, I, their mission. I know there are sheets out there that are like fifteen hundred bucks, right? 
for a sheet, not even for a set of sheets, because it's made out of like special, I don't know what, goat linen or something like Himalayan goat linen. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and it seems crazy that, I mean, that seems like the type of thing that just rich people do in order to, cause they don't know what money's worth anymore. And they just like blowing money. Right. Things. They need an excuse. They need something to spend the money on. They don't even but know there's no what reason, they're doing. There's no reason people like us should be sleeping on 60, 40 cotton blend. No. Like garbage sheets. Cause it feels terrible. No, we want the luxury sheets and the luxury bedding and we want it at an affordable price. And that's what Brooklyn and did. So they, they, I, I ordered some of these things because yeah. we've got to try it out. And I understand you, yours are on the way still. Mine just got here a couple of days ago. So I have had a chance to try them out. Well, but, mine are on the way in the sense that I have, that I just remembered. You just remember to order them. That so. I just remembered to order them. So they're not like on the way, but they're, they are sure going to be on. They're the going to be on. Hopefully by the next time we do, the show you'll have them you know you say that you spend a third of your life in bed you might spend more than that even (laughs) well you know i'm gonna murder the bugler and spend the rest of my life in bed but i do like for instance dan i'm podcasting from bed right now are you really and my sheets which i am lying upon are trashed they're not i would not call them deluxe i would call them not trashed, but but they are just let's just call them just normal sheets. They have little flowers on them. They're made of cotton, but there's nothing deluxe about them. Mm. And I do deserve more luxury you, in my you life. You deserve it. I'm just gonna say that. You deserve it. Especially with I feel that few people enjoy a bed the way you do. I use the shit out of a bed. You know, I don't have a TV <laughs> in my bedroom because you're not supposed to. No. Uh, because you want to just be in your in your right. bed. When life. you're in your bed, you don't want to be doing things with like electronics necessarily. Yeah. Or maybe. I, but. I need blackout curtains in this room, but I, I didn't tell you this earlier, Dan, but I broke my phone again yesterday. Oh, no. And this time I broke it hard. What happened? I was at the dump. <laughs> again? You're, again? That wasn't, you liked it so much you have to keep going back. I've been I've been to the dump several times since I talked to you last. <laughs> oh my god. And I was standing on this dumper <laughs> which was I was probably 10 feet off the ground. And you know the floor of the dump is greasy. Ugh. And so I had greasy dump floor on the bottom of my boots and I'm standing up on top of this dumper. And uh, my friend Peter says, I'm going to move the dumper now. Cause we got to, we got to shake it. And I said, all right, let me get down off of here while you move it. And all of a sudden my feet slipped out from under me and I was completely airborne. My God. And if I had hit the ground from that altitude, I would have been messed up. I would have landed right on my tailbone oh, no. uh, from 10 feet up and I would have gone to the hospital. But the way my feet slipped out of me, I fell and I landed on the fender of the trailer. Painful, and the fender was, 
Well, but the fender was made out of pretty high, uh, what would you call it? Um, not grade, but high, uh, it's a, it's a way of describing how thick metal is. Hmm. Tensile? No, no. It's like, um, what, like how do you describe wire thicker, thinner wire? It is. It's. Oh boy, there are a bunch of people shouting the answer at us right now, but we can't hear them. We can't hear they're, that. They're on the other side of the internet. It is the g- gauge. There it is, gauge. Woo! I got there. Oh, that's that's it. Just gauge. Gauge. So uh, in the U.S., a- the thickness of sheet metal is commonly specified by a traditional nonlinear measurement known as its gauge. There it is, gauge. The larger the gauge number, the thinner the metal. Yeah. So this was a low gauge. It was a thick metal. But not so thick that me falling on it from a height didn't hit that fender and bend it. Mm. And the bending of the fender absorbed (laughs) a a lot of my kinetic energy. And it sort of – I hit that fender so hard, but it didn't hurt. And then the fender slid me down and off and onto the ground – And every step of the way, my body was telling me, I am very hurt now. But I slid across that greasy floor and popped up on my feet. And I I was just astonished. Like, am I okay? Am I not hurt? I just fell from all the way up there and bounced off of like two things. (laughs) And I'm fine. It was like such a lucky thing. Because if I had just missed that fender or landed on it, badly i would i absolutely would be in traction right now but then i pulled my phone out and as part of the absorption process of the kinetic energy of that fall my phone was not just a shattered screen but the entire phone was bent like a taco basically in the shape of my tailbone because i had it in the back pocket and i have to say that this iphone also had to absorb a considerable amount of that energy in order to be as wrecked as it was. Yeah. And so I have to be grateful for the, for the phone too. It saved me another, however much, uh, it broke instead of I broke. And like it deserves a Viking funeral. Right. Right. But so here I am lying in bed and I have been squandering the best of my bedtime because I, like I think most of us, have become more and more and more, not dependent on my phone, but obsessed with my phone. Yeah. So I'm lying in bed and I'm just staring at this thing and it's just creeping into my brain like black mold. Ruining my not only bedtime, but my everything time. The phone is just ruining me. There's no question anymore whether or not it's positive or negative. It's just straight up negative. Yeah. So I broke my phone yesterday on my birthday. Mm. It feels like a momentous day. So much went on yesterday. Not intentional. That was just like, okay, it was the last dump run. I got all the garbage out of my house. I mean, out of my yard. I broke my phone in half. Ugh. Like 
other decisions got made that will reveal themselves in time. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to replace that phone. Not for at least the next month and a half until what, those iPhone X's come online. What are you going to use? Nothing. I'm just going to, how do I'm I gonna, reach you when I need you? I'm going to answer my emails and texts at the end of the day. When I look at my computer, what if it's urgent? What if I need to get you urgently? People who need me urgently are going to be returned to a state like we used to have my entire life up until five years ago where you just were like, where's John? I don't know. He's not answering his phone. Well, you know, I'll leave a message, I guess. What the, this is the equivalent of saying, well, my, my, you know, my car has a transmission problem, so I'm just going to walk everywhere. And if I need to bring something with me, I'll just push it in a wheelbarrow. And if it's across town, that's all right. And if I have to get somewhere fast, I'll just walk faster. Well, I mean, there are a lot of people that do not have cars and rely on public transit. Maybe if my car breaks, I should do that. But you're not relying on public transit. That's not that's a, a faulty analogy. You're not going with a different kind of fast communication or communication. You're going with no communication. Well, no, I have this computer. I'm I am going you, to then respond. bring the computer with you in a bag like a no. sane person and no. use one of your million Filson bags. No. Put it in there, bring it with you, and jump on a hotspot. And the idea that I need to be instantly reachable is there are only two reasons. One would be that my daughter was at school and needed something. Yes. Um, which it's very unlikely that that would happen, but I will check in with her school throughout the day. How? On a payphone? I'm not exactly sure how, actually. Maybe I'll just drive by there and pop in like my dad used to do. Right. Uh, and the other thing would be that my mom needed me, but I, before I leave the house in the day, I'll send out an email to everybody. Oh, here's where I'm going to be. Do, 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 do. Anyway, so okay, I, I just, to- I would like to formally register a complaint regarding this. I don't, I do not approve. Yeah, I know. We'll see how it goes. But what I'm saying is I'm ready now to turn my bed back into a temple (laughs) where I don't sit here and look at my phone where I have some Lux sheets Yeah, and I just come here and it is my, it's my, uh, crystal palace. It's my temple of silence. I'm going to get some blackout curtains. I'm going to get some fortress of solitude, fortress of solitude. That's what I meant to say. Uh, where I uh, where I get some sateen sheets and some darkness and some calm, and I'm going to return to a place somehow where the fo- the hold the phone has on my brain is just going to dissipate, and I'm going to be once again like a fully human person rather than a than a like cyborg who's just you know becoming like infected by this virus. Well, the. Uh- I, I feel like uh, I mean I'm a little little envious, mm-hmm. uh, not enough to do it, but I like it. As long as as long as you give me a way to reach you when I need you urgently, I'll be happy. All right. Well, continue to send me. I think with texts now being more difficult, I think that it may be better to email me. Alright. And that will be like um that'll be my hot deal. Email me, I'll be able to I'll be able to look at look at email throughout the day because I could go to the library and log in 
Right. I could log in. Do you want me to send you? I got a, I got like a bunch of old iPhones. I could send you one to use. Oh, well, you should have been doing that the whole time. Do you want uh, me to send yeah. you one? Oh, yeah. Send me the best I, iPhone you have. All right. Uh, and maybe I think I'll, I got a six I could send you. Yeah, maybe that'll bring me back online. All right. Are you on AT and T or anything like that? Yeah, AT and T. Okay, good. We should be all fine. Yeah. I'll send it to you. I don't, I don't like them, but I'm on them. When you get your X or whatever, ten at the ten, as we say in the Apple community, you can send it back. All right. So Brooklyn and though they're going to help you make your uh, fortress of solitude. That's what I need. And they have an exclusive deal for our listeners. It's Brooke. Let me spell it out. Brooke Linen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. You're going to get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK. And they're so confident that you will love the new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on everything, sheets and comforters. So there's no reason not to just give them a try. You can't lose. You can't lose. So the only way you're going to get the the 20 bucks off and the free shipping is to use the promo code roadwork. That's at brooklinen, brooklinen.com, promo code roadwork. And uh, enjoy some of the best sheets ever. And John, I can't wait to hear via text because you'll be texting again in no time. Yeah. How how you like your new sheets. Thanks, Thanks, Brooklinen. Thank you, Brooklinen. I'm really looking forward to re- restoring my uh, my temple of solitude. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be better. It's gonna be better. There, there's something between not being able to throw away a stapler because of being sentimental about all the papers that you stapled. Right, right, it, right, right. And having room in a single suitcase for like sounds like for like a cat uh-huh. uh, because you have zero items except for one copper sphinx. I like that thing that you would take with you onto the apocalypse trail. Yeah. Like if you're do- if you're like, if your house is on fire and the zombies are coming and you're like, everybody out, let's go. We got two minutes here. Right. And your daughter grabs a big armful of her drawings and stuff or whatever her sentimentality is. Right. And she's like, but, but you're going to be like, move it or lose it, kid. No, I don't. No, no, I don't apply my standards to up to her or to my, you know, other people. My, my son is a hoarder. Anything, anything he'll, you know, like he, at one point he's like. I think I want to start collecting bottle caps. Like, no, I don't, I don't think you do. <laughs> I don't think you need that. And he's like, yeah, I think I do. So, I mean, like it doesn't, are, it doesn't matter what it is. He, he wants a collection of it. Are bottle caps still a thing? Do bottles still have caps? No, that's the funny part is he, he, um, I said, here, you can have this one from the Topo and, uh, you know, Topo Chico is the uh, official drink of, I guess, Texas. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, so I gave him a couple of those and my wife's like, why does he have like, five of these now i said well he said he wanted to collect them she's like he's not gonna be collecting them because he has so many collections of so much else everything everything else he has collections of wow shells from the beach right beads beads you know uh pokemon cards you name it he's he's got a collection of them 
fossils. Throwing stars. Throwing stars. Well, fidget spinners are the oh. modern day throwing star, I think. I guess so. Ah. <laughs> Um, well, Dan, that is a fascinating glimpse inside your, I guess, what we could only call your psychology. Yeah, sure. That'd be a nice, um, a nice term for it. Um, yeah, just utterly, utterly fascinating. I, I think we're opposites in, in that way. Oh, you think? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm figuring this out. But like when you keep stuff, you're keeping it, it sounds like... Because, you know, like when I, when my old passport expired, trash. Yeah, you that's know? crazy. Yeah. That's insane. And what do I need that for? Yeah, been, I, I went to I those mean, places. I, I, I remember it. I'm done. Move, I understand your mentality. It, 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 you, <laughs> I know you sound, it, you sound like you're beside yourself almost. Well, I just, <laughs> I can, uh, I can no more imagine throwing away an expired passport. I mean, that's a perfect example. Right, I'm looking at a bookshelf here, and there's tons and tons of stuff on it that I've had for decades, and there's all this interesting books, you know, art books and stuff that would be hard to replace, or that, you know, it's not that they'd be hard to replace, I would just never go to the trouble of replacing them. Right. And and honestly, I haven't looked at most of them in years, and if the whole thing got turned into uh, $300, mm-hmm. like the entire collection of, of, uh, wonderful, beautiful, like alternative comics and right. art books got turned into $300. I wouldn't cry, but my old passports. I mean, I lost a passport. I remember in this. 1980, 1990. Oh, this isn't the one that was stolen that you wished back no. to you. Okay. No, I I uh I got back from my first long trip to Europe which was like 7 8 months of of being in Europe as a 20 year old. I got back from that at the end of 1989 and somewhere in the second half or I guess the second half of the first half of 1990, I was in Idaho and I was carrying this passport with me as my primary ID for some reason. And I think it was, I mean, I was in Idaho. You don't need a passport, although you you should or increasingly might. (laughs) But I was at a party in Moscow, Idaho, and I got drunk and somehow, I don't know how, Somehow the next day, my passport was gone. And I think I left it somewhere, basically. It fell out of my pocket. Normally, I'm pretty good about keeping a hold of that type of thing. but And I didn't realize it was gone until I was was in a car, headed somewhere else, and I didn't know the people. I, I spent the night in a house where I didn't know anybody. And so there's no, it's not like I had anybody's phone number. And I think I called somebody that I knew and said, can you find out who those people were and call them? But I didn't follow up because I was at that point living out of a bag. And I have a hole in me, Dan. It's not a huge one. Okay. Different from what, what normal people have? I'm, it's hard to say what normal people are. Yeah. But I have a small passport-shaped hole in me where that <laughs> passport belongs. And – 
I believe there's a part of me that thinks there's a possibility that somewhere in Moscow, Idaho, in that small orbit of people, there was another person like me who would, in that instance, finding that passport, would have kept it themselves hmm. all these years. Right. Because if in 1990 I had found a passport at a party, I would have recognized it was important and I would have tucked it into some some part of my belongings. Right. And then years later I would find it and I'd be like, oh, that passport. But eventually I would probably, pr- frankly, probably by now I would have tried to reunite that passport with its owner. And so I have to – I have to accept that that thing is not going to turn up. I can't picture a world in which someone else would throw a passport in the garbage. Hmm. Um, I just can't. I just can't picture it because it just seems crazy. I mean, you you really you know, don't you, that if you throw a passport into a mailbox, any mailbox, the postman will take it to its appropriate it will end up back at the u.s passport office i have heard that i think i've read that yeah so i mean if you find a passport throw it in a mailbox if you don't want to keep it but how how this thing ended up gone forever i don't know but it but it was a passport that i took it was my first one i took it overseas during a time when you still got your passport stamped when you passed from france to germany Right, like all of those stamps are gone. Yeah, the ones from Portugal to Spain, where you had to go through passport control then. Um, and I traveled all around Europe to all the the nations of the world, and was meticulous about you know collecting my passport stamps. So multiple times in and out of Holland and Belgium and France and and Italy, and I went to. East Germany and then went back and was there in Berlin at, at when they opened the wall. <clears throat> and all of this is documented in this book of like, oh, and I went to Morocco and I got a, I got a, uh, I got a visa to travel to um, Algeria and it was this beautiful visa. It took me weeks to get. I had to go all the way to Casablanca and and go through this whole process with the the Algerian embassy and I got this beautiful like full page visa in the passport that also had a picture in it. I mean it was like beautiful and it's gone. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm as you can tell Dan here it is You're sad, many, yeah. Many 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 years later, 27 years later. And I'm I can still describe it and why and describe it and describe why I want it. And because I'm picturing myself at 85, because the thing about a passport, it's very interesting, right? Yep. Passport is a 10 year long document. Mm -hmm. And so you can only have a discrete number of them in your life. If you have a passport as a child, even, Mm -hmm. How many passports are you going to have at, by the time you die? Eight? If you're lucky, like, yeah. I think you'd start, you'd start when you're first born. You get one every 10 years. Yeah, you might, have, you might have seven, eight if you're lucky. Yeah. 
So I have had four, and one of them's gone. It's like a missing limb. And when I have had seven, and one of them's still gone, the first one, it's always, to me, going to be a, yeah, like somebody cut the end of my pinky off. So most of the stuff around here in my house, you know, like, I mean, looking around just this room that I'm in, it would fill a truck to get all the stuff out of here. And I could deal with that. You know, there's a desk in this room that was, uh, it wasn't the desk in my father's office at the Dexter Horton building in 1965. It was the credenza behind his desk, right? So he sat at his desk and then this other desk was behind him. A long mid-century modern, right? you know, kind of beautiful desk that the big desk didn't survive, but this thing did because my mom liked it. And then at a certain point, she's like you. She was like, I'm going to put all the things that I want to keep in a coffee can. And if you want this desk, then you can keep it. Otherwise, it's going away. And I was like, of course I want it. So now I have it. And I look at it and I go, do I really want it? I mean, it belonged to my dad in the 60s. Yeah. You know, it belonged to my dad in the 60s. And then my mom took it in the divorce and it was in our house the whole time growing up. It would be hard to watch it go to a thrift store. But if somebody came in and said, that's a beautiful piece of furniture, I'll give you $800 for it. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say, yeah, fine. If they came in and said, it's a beautiful piece of furniture, I'll give you $100. I would say, no. But that's just because I have an inflated sense of what the value of things is. But my, my collection of passports, I feel like that's one of just a couple of of collections of documents mm-hmm. that if my because I have my dad's passports I have one from the 50s where mm-hmm. where he where it's a black and white picture and he's wearing a bow tie um because I think you got you went to get your passport photo in a tuxedo then <laughs> I think he's wearing a tuxedo <laughs> that was just the rule I mean, it was when pe- it was when people wore pillbox hats on white gloves to fly on airplanes. <laughs> right. So I have his passports mostly all the way back, and I think there was a period in the middle there when he didn't really travel internationally. So maybe there's one that's missing from the, you know, th- from the mid '60s or something. I mean, he had one in the '50s, he had one in the '70s, but I'm not sure if he went overseas in the '60s. Uh, but. Those are a small thing and yet valuable to me. I mean, honestly, I have no idea whether my kid will care. Right. But you're, you have the, she'll have the option to see all of this. She'll have the option. Whereas, you know, if, I, if those passports were gone, she would not miss them. Right? She's never going to be 25 and be like, where are my dad's passports? Like, No. It won't happen. But if she does have them, I don't know. I honestly have no idea whether that's a gift or a curse. Right. Because then she potentially will will have to carry them around forever. Yeah. As I am currently carrying around several boxes of my dad's old phone bills, 
Um, and only because when I open those boxes and start reading those phone bills from the 80s, they tell, a, uh, in some cases, a really interesting story to me because I, w- I remember those days and seeing what he seeing his long distance bills or seeing his canceled checks is uh, it's a doorway into the stories of those times a lot of the stuff is like oh right there's his child support payment check and i see that reoccur and I identify it as that because it's like, oh, he's paying a check to my mom. It comes up again and again, same amount every month. Oh, right. It's child support. But then there are other ones, you know, where where the check reminds me, oh, that's a thing that we did. That was part of our our daily or part of our part of his monthly expense and part of my life. Right. I could now throw that stuff away, having gone through it once. It, it, uh, but at the time, I look at it and I like, I, and I feel, wow, that's really a cool part of that story. And in that moment, I make, I think, what is a bad decision, which is I put that check back in the box. Mm. And I think I could, if I was just a slightly better version of myself i would absolutely look at that thing have that moment add it to the to the story that i'm constructing the elaborate network of interconnected stories that makes up my world but then i would shred it Mm. because putting it back in the box means for for me to have that experience with it again it'll be 15 years of toting that fucking shitty box of canceled checks around right and so those are the people I, had, I th- well, and I don't know any people like that either, but I would admire myself more if I was able to do that simple bit of editing without, without, because I know to do it. It's just that I flinch. I flinch and I think there's some weird voice in my head that's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if you decide one day to do a coffee table book of your dad's old canceled checks? And I go, right, right, right. I'd better save it. Because what if I did a coffee table book of my dad's canceled checks? I mean, is that something you think like that's something you, it would be an awful coffee table book. I have a friend who used to work as a garbage man in Tacoma, Washington. And he said that there was a, a, an old garbage man that he worked with. He was the young garbage man. And they would drive around the town. And he, because he was the young garbage man, he was the one that was running out grabbing cans. The old garbage man was driving the truck. Am I painting a picture for you? Yes. And he said the old garbage man, this is a long time ago that mm-hmm. this was happening. He said, so the old garbage man had been doing garbage since the 70s okay (laughs) and i have to say people that work within the garbage industry the guys at the dump the gar the garbage truck people the everybody that's in waste management in my experience is great like it is a it is a line of work that attracts people who are just fucking hilarious and great you never see a garbage man that isn't 
pretty cordial. It's very seldom you see a garbage truck that is being driven rudely. You know, they're just out there doing their thing and they see, they open those garbage cans and they see us at our worst Mm. and at our greatest. Oh, when I go to the dump from the first to the last, every person I meet there is having a good day. I don't know why I can't imagine why, but they're all just having fun. So this old garbage man had a collection of photo albums. Your your classic American photo album, full of Polaroids of amateur porn that he had pulled out of people's garbage cans over the course of thirty years. Wow! And it was all Polaroids, right? Because at, at that's that right. Time, that's the only way because you wouldn't have to get something developed. It would be a Polaroid. Yeah. You don't want anyone else to see that. Well, and and my understanding was if you took naked pictures and took them to the photo developer, uh, that you would sometimes have a hard time getting them back. Right. Like, or they, they're going to make copies of it or a lot of weird. Yeah, things that was the happen. main. I think that was sort of the understood purpose for Polaroids. Uh, that was sort of a secret. Like, yeah, you might take a picture of this thing. You want it right away. But there was also the, the seedy side of Polaroids was that, you know, how else are you going to take a, a naked photo of, of yourself or somebody else that you want to preserve that? You can't, you can't take that to the photo mark and get it developed there. Right. So here, here you have a garbage man in a Tacoma, Washington. So right. that we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about like Westchester County, New York. Yeah. We're talking about Tacoma in the seventies and eighties, people taking home porn shots with a Polaroid camera. And then these are the ones that ended up in the garbage mm. either because Somebody threw out like a whole collection of them, or these are the outtakes, the ones that like were bad. And this garbage man kept this collection of Polaroids in multiple photo albums in his garbage truck cab with him, presumably because his his wife wouldn't like them in the house or I don't mean I can only imagine. But this is, A, the kind of brilliant collection that I could see your son growing up to be sort of the type of person that's like, you know what, I'm keeping this. Right. But also, imagine the freaking Tashin coffee table book that would be, a, you know, like a like – a, duplication of the entire thing not just the photographs but the photo album cover all of the little weird the way the the way the pictures are probably in there askew mm-hmm. against one another like it is a, it is the the greatest coffee table book in history and i do not think probably i think the garbage man recognizes what an incredible um like wealth he has but i do, he's probably not thinking there's a German publisher that would turn this into a, into a book that would cost $400 right. and every weirdo in America, all the photograph weirdos, all the amateur porn weirdos, all the, the raw art people, the like, uh, I mean, everybody would want it. I would want it. 
It's just out there somewhere. It's never going to turn into that because this garbage man and whoever the garbage men around the country are that have those same, uh, those same kinds of collections, you know, they're just not thinking coffee table book. But I have a friend here in Seattle who is a person like me, a kind of collector. And he, one of his collections is Polaroid prison photos. Really? From the 60s and oh, 70s. I didn't know there was such a thing. I didn't either until he showed me this collection, which he's been accumulating for a long time. And he's online sometimes bidding on seventies Polaroid prison photos, bidding against other people nationwide. And sometimes he loses out on a big collection of prison Polaroids and he's, and you know, he's a pretty sanguine guy. He's like, well, you know, I missed out on it. Anyway, I'll, maybe I'll get the next one, but that was too expensive for me. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's impressive in and of itself. If you're collecting something so esoteric, but at the same time, you're willing to let a huge collection of them go to someone else where you're like, yeah, I mean, once it got up to 1500 bucks, I just couldn't, I didn't, I wasn't in the game anymore. Right. It's like, I don't know if I was doing that. I might become so obsessed that I'd pay any price, but. I guess what he's saying is, yeah, there is somebody that's like that, and they are the ones that want it. But so he recognizes what he has. He knows that that's that the more Polaroids of inmates in like denim outfits with giant hair <laughs> that he collects together, then the whole of it together becomes a a single work or a single. You know, it becomes an entity and a thing that has greater value, right? By virtue of of it seeming somewhat comprehensive. Uh, but you know, Dan, if you had found all those naked Polaroids, you'd just throw them right in the garbage, wouldn't you? Well, I, I might have given them to you know someone who needed them. Mm-hmm. Somebody who needed them, I guess, like the guy, like your guy. Maybe he would have. You know, I would have found him hanging out and said, oh, by the way, I, I hear you're, you know, this is your thing. Here's some. I love, wow. I love giving stuff away. It makes me happy. You know, like, like with these watches, like I was selling them. Well, that's not giving them away. No, no. But, but the idea is still like I paid something for it and right. I've had it and, you know, maybe I don't wear it. And that's the, that was the ones, the two that I wound up selling. I just wasn't wearing them and it didn't make sense for me to have them anymore because they're somebody out there who would probably really love to have one of these watches, both of which were one impossible to find the other harder to get. And there was somebody right now, or until I sold it to him who was sitting there saying, man, I really, really want like a 1972, 73 Seiko JDM Kakume style watch. And I had one uh-huh. and they wanted one. And instead of it just sitting in the, you know, on the shelf, never being worn. Now there's a guy that has it and he's probably wearing it every day and it's bringing him tremendous joy. And I, I sold it, I sold it for what I paid for it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Back into the stream. You're, you're back into the stream guy. Yeah. He he has it now and, and he'll keep it. Maybe he'll give it to his kids. 
maybe he'll sell it in a couple years, you know, and it's back. It's back in the world doing good again, instead of just mm. sitting, sitting, doing nothing on my shelf. That was how it was with all my comic books. I, I had collected comic books since high school and I schlepped these things around with me all over the place, all around. And I, I think part of it was like, oh, you know, these, these great stories that I enjoyed and might want to read them again, but I always never read them again. And I thought uh-huh. maybe maybe my kids, one of my kids will want to read them and they, they're really not that interested in them. And yeah, they might become interested later, but you know, now we have the digital versions of all of those if they ever really do. And the digital versions don't take up any space in our closets. I had, I don't know how many of these long boxes just taking up space, moving around, moving around. So finally I, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't need to keep these anymore. So I took them to the Austin books and comics, great store and sort of sold them. sold quote unquote, sold them. You barely get any money for them. No, I understand that now, but a lot know, of people lost their whole fortune, didn't they? I guess investing but in the big comics bubble. There were a few that were worth hundreds and a few that were worth thousands. Uh, so I made out pretty well. And now Someone else probably is enjoying those books or they're... No, they're not enjoying them. They're sitting somewhere. Well, they're in Tell me... A, you know, they sell what, back catalog stuff there. What was the most expensive comic? Uh, yeah, Albedo number two, first appearance of Usagi Yojimbo, who is a... You're, you're just making up words. No, uh, he is a samurai rabbit uh, who uh, is a very, very long-running comic by Stan Sakai very uh, awesome artist and uh if you remember do you remember the comic book grew not grew to Vague, grew vaguely yes. he did the lettering in grew and then went on to do usagi ojimbo and so albedo number two is the first appearance of usagi ojimbo there were very very few of these things made mine was a cgc rated i think it was a 9.6 or a 9.2 whatever it was is unheard of unheard of quality and uh, I had bought it years ago at a comic book convention. Uh, no, I take that back. That was Usagi Ojimbo number one I bought there. I bought this at an auction online. And um, and it was not cheap, but it was like this thing that I had always wanted for some reason. I'd always wanted it because I love, well, I love the character. I know why I wanted it. I love the character. And I thought it would be like owning a little piece of history. So I wanted it at an auction uh, online auction and had it and had it for a few years and realized this thing was just sitting in a box in my closet and not being enjoyed. And I would rather have someone enjoy it than have it just sitting in a box doing me no good. And it's, you know, the CG sealed CGC, uh, comics, once they get rated, they're sealed in like a plastic, uh, sealed forever. You can't touch them after that. Right. It's, uh, it's locked down. So I, uh, I thought it would only be right that I release it back into the world. And I, I sold that one on eBay and uh, made quite a bit of money on that because it, it turns out that it's super valuable. Well, I have, it, Dan. How much money did you make? I think I made about $1,000, maybe $1,500 from it. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I, I would have to look it up. But it was enough that I was like, whoa, that was nice. Uh, yeah, but I have like, I bought these when they first came out, there's a, a company here and I think they're based here in Austin called Mondo 
And they do really, really cool t-shirts and posters and other things like that. And so when the star, the, the special engagement at the Alamo Draft House here, they had brought back, I think it was before, I don't remember when it was, but they had a special thing where they were showing the first three original Star Wars movies. And they had this uh, you know special event around it. And so they released a series of authorized by like Lucasfilm authorized posters, movie posters. And it's very rare apparently that Lucasfilm would ever even allow something like this to go on, let alone have special new uh, posters and merchandise made for it. But Oh, I know Lucasfilm never, ever, ever exploits star Wars in a gross or uncool way. Well, no, this was a very cool way. And that was the thing. It's like, they didn't control it. It was like a special licensing thing. Uh And so the posters that came out of it were by this amazing artist. Ali Moss is his name. And he did these three posters for the first three movies. And, uh, and you could order these things and they were, this is, um, they had a, a crazy, uh, system where they would not you couldn't just go on to the site and buy them they would hold off and then they would announce only on twitter and they would say basically okay you know you can go and buy them now and it was notorious that the mondo stuff would sell out almost instantly because they only did i think they only did 300 of these posters and of course for star wars people all over, there's a lot of star wars people out there i don't know if you uh-huh. if you know that uh-huh. john uh-huh. Uh, but uh-huh. there are a lot of like really intense star Wars fans who wanted to get their hands on these posters. And I thought I, I took it as a challenge uh, to myself to try and, and get these posters because for yep. one, I wanted them because I thought they would be cool, but yep. uh, I thought it would be a really, really cool uh, challenge to see if I could automate the process of getting these things. Because what most people do is they hang out on Twitter. They know it's coming on the 15th. So they're just, they're looking at Twitter. They're going to the website. They're reloading it. Well, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. So I wrote a, no, no, I wrote a Ruby script that would check the page to see if it had changed in any way. And, uh, E tag is one way to look at that. There's other ways to do it, but I forget how I did it, but I was checking, uh, the Ruby script would check every second. I'm learning so much right now. Once the Ruby script, uh, would find that the page had changed, I forget what I had to do, but it made it beeped or made a sound or something. So I bet it beeped. It probably beeped. I don't remember, but it did. For the, it, for the sake of this story, can we have it that it beeped? It beeped really loud. Okay. And, okay. Uh, and, and so at that moment, then I went over to the website and ordered all one of each of the posters, uh, which are oh, all. Oh, oh, so the script just beeped. It didn't then go order. No, one. no. That, I mean, that would take. Because I I was unfamiliar with their full sign up process and I, you know I didn't want to have to try and script something like that without knowing it so no it just told me and then I went to the website and and chucked them in my cart and checked out and bought it and it turned out that like that was essentially an impossible thing to do like nobody was able to get these posters I was one of very few people in the world that was able to get them and not only that I got all three and not only that but they're sequentially numbered so this is apparently a big a very big deal. God damn, Dan. And so I think I paid I think I paid $300 for the three posters. Mm-hmm. They're now selling for like between 4 and $5,000 for for the set if you have the set. So Good god damn. So like I'm I'm planning on selling these things. And um yeah, but that's you, that's how I I don't need them. They're you know what they are? They're just sitting in the, in the closet in my house. 
They're just sitting there. Are you there. sure that you don't want to keep them for 10 more years and then sell them for $40,000? I don't know if that, I don't know if they'll still be valuable that, like that then. I could get out while the getting's good. Yeah, get out while the getting's good. Yeah. Our second sponsor, John, is Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everybody, and they do this by creating partnerships with uh, 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers all across the United States. And as a result, they can send you seafood that's sustainably sourced. They send you beef, chicken, and pork that's from responsibly raised animals and produce that comes from farms that practice something called regenerative farming, which sounds really good. It sounds like something. That's what I want. When I get something from a farm, the first thing I do is like, do you guys practice regenerative farming? Yes, we do. Then I shall buy from you. If they say no, regenerative. If they say no, John, I don't even look at them. I just step, take two steps backwards, and keep walking like I'm on a a conveyor belt. Just slide to the next station. Is regenerative farming a Blue Apron trademark concept? No, this is a universal thing. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to have to research regenerative farming. Well, what's nice about Blue Apron? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no no no! I'm I I already know what's great about Blue Apron, but I'm now very curious about this new terminology. Regenerative farming. Yeah, is that just we use every part of the buffalo? I feel like and, they reg- it, that it regenerates. It's like um, Thor's uh, goats. You know about Thor's yeah. goats? No. If you if you okay, so Thor's goats every Thor's night. Goats. Thor's goats. Every night he would kill the goats and eat them. Mm-hmm. But as long as you leave the bones, he can raise them back up. They come back to life, ready to be eaten again the next day. And they also pull his chariot. Have you ever eaten goat? Yes, absolutely. Mm. High on my list. Goat, goat is high on your list. Not yeah. sheep, not mutton. No, mutton's good too. I'll eat. I'll eat a sheep. I'll eat a goat. Whatever animal you got, I'll try it. Oh, all right. Uh, okay. Regenerative farming. Although that just seems like what God does, right? We sow the seed, nature grows the seed, and then we eat the seed in the words of, of, uh, of Neil from the young ones. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so, all right, let's just take it as read that regenerative farming is great. I happen to know that it is because I am a, I use blue apron. Yeah. Now, for, and I, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say they they send you these meals, but basically what it is is they're sending you the ingredients and really good recipes, so mm-hmm. that you get exactly the right amount of the stuff to make the meal with. There's no waste, and it turns out great. It turns out just like the recipe card says it's going to, which is a miracle in my house that I could actually make something that looks good and actually tastes good. That's rare for me, mm-hmm. and this makes it possible. And they say that it's it's less than $10 per person per meal. So you're actually saving a lot of money from eating out. And because there's no waste, there's, there's nothing being thrown out. You eat the whole thing. You're telling me, for me, uh, this makes like two meals. Each one of these recipe cards makes two meals. You were saying for you, you can eat them all as just one meal. Yeah, I eat the whole thing, but then I eat large portions because i eat infrequently right i'm more so you know really I'm it in, is two meals you're just eating them at one time 
Yeah, I'm in touch with my Neanderthal uh, <laughs> person. I think that there, I think that actually my family has more Neanderthal uh, genes than most people because we come from we come from that land. Yeah, and I feel like it's pretty evident in me that I do have. I do have some of that, whatever that extra sauce is. How, why would it be evident? I don't look at you and think Neanderthal. Well, I feel like it's just evident in that there's something going on. You know, I'm not just because uh, you're tall or something. Well, no, I mean, it's like, we don't know. We don't, we, for a long time, I think we made the mistake of thinking that that was a more primitive version of hominid. Right. But they're not. But they're not right. They had they had necklaces and they were making tools and they were just regular good old people, just slightly different than the other kind of right. people. And they got you know they got driven out. I think probably just because uh, Homo sapiens are such a like a vermin. Right. You know they just got. They, but they were they were a little bit slower moving. They, I I imagine that they were sort of thoughtful, cold weather beasts, sort of like large ents or trolls. <laughs> Uh, ants or trees. They, well, I know, but big, you know, like <laughs> slow moving talking trees. Uh-huh. Some, uh, you know, trolls are, what are they? They're made out of mud. Uh, some combination of them, like night, you know, like not that ants are nice, but trolls are not nice. I'm looking at pictures of Neanderthals as you talk about this hmm. and you, your beard is kind of like the way it's depicting theirs, you know, where it, it the mustache isn't super thick. But like the lower part of the beard is really thick. Yeah. So you might you might be on to something. I I just you know I think that having done some genetic testing, we do have my family does have incrementally more of that sort of DNA in us. So anyway, I'm much more of a feast or famine type uh, feeder. I don't just sit and graze all day like a cow. I, I'm out there and I either, I either got it or I don't got it. Um, and when I got it, I eat it. So I'll eat an entire blue apron. <laughs> but, um, but also, you know, we've been receiving blue apron here and I've spread them around my family so that my mom, uh, uses blue apron and, and, uh, my daughter's mother uses blue apron and everyone cooks them slightly differently because having used them for a long time now we know we're all we we have graduated to slightly modifying them uh to our own taste which is i think in a way kind of what they what their mission was to get people like you and me to start cooking mm-hmm. using a variety of ingredients and learn what those ingredients are and do. And then it just sort of evolves where you're like, yes, I am receiving all of this. And now I, I know that from past blue aprons, I like this or that other ingredient. And I think I'll do a little bit of replacement here and there. And so it's becoming a lively part of our, of our family process. I mean, obviously like my kid just eats grilled cheese sandwiches, but the rest of us are, um, are you know, exploring this because, you know, you, like typically I wouldn't make fish at home if I didn't have a little bit of guidance. Right. I think that's the kind of the crux of it is that it, it, think of, of it as like guidance for 
for those of us who enjoy eating good food and wanting to make it at home. It's guidance. It's like, guidance. Like, you know what? They can have that. They can run with that. Yeah, they ha- they it's a little bit of hand holding where they're like, Don't worry, don't worry. We you know, we know you don't know how to use nutmeg. Nobody really knows how to use nutmeg. Uh-huh. But we're going to put a little bit of, you know, whatever, all spice or something in this thing. We're going to give you a little spice packet. Who knows what's in it, right? Um, but it's going to help you discover these flaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Pretty hot stuff. Well, you can go to Blue Apron, B-L-U-E, Apron, A-P-R-O-N, blueapron.com slash roadwork. And if you go there, you can check out the new menus, which they have, which change all the time. They never repeat their stuff, so it's always good. Always new. And you're going to get your first three meals free with free shipping. Again, to get that special deal, it's blueapron.com slash roadwork. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy the whole process as much as John and I do. And John, when I come visit you in Seattle with my all of my stuff in a suitcase, uh, we can uh, we make some Blue Apron together. Wow. Do you, really think, do you really think you and I are going to sit and make Blue Apron together, Dan? I, I pretty much guarantee it. All right. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to count it out. All right. Like the, you All know, right. there's lots of things in life you don't want to count out. This could be one. This is one. Uh, I mean, I love that you are gaming. You're gaming so many systems here. I love it. I love a situation where someone games a system, you know, like gaming a system is a thing that I wish I could do a little bit better because there are a lot of systems and, you know, I I'm not in the game of writing scripts about anything. Well, you could. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't shortchange yourself. Mm, I'm gonna go ahead and say no. I'm. You know, like it's funny. The other day, I realized uh, a thing, which is, you know, I I busted my leg twenty years ago, twenty seven yeah. years ago busted my leg it's never worked right since then it doesn't work wrong well no a little bit works wrong but i mean i can still ski it's just not i don't feel 100 percent secure on it does it do you feel like the the leg is going to wobble or is it just yeah it's not there i could re-injure it oh yeah and if i re-injure it many more times um then it will be a problem you know, like this, this leg busted as it is. I mean, I walked from Amsterdam to Istanbul on it. Right. And it never, not only never gave out, but didn't really give me any problems. Mm-hmm. So it's done it. It's done quite a good job. But I realized the other day, like, but so my friend Ben decided sometime around the age of, well, at some point along the way, uh, he decided that he was going to be a long distance runner. And then because he's a musician, we're all a little bit obsessive. And then he decided he was going to be like a hundred miler, which is off road running over mountains and, you know, 24 hours of straight, like running, uh, for a hundred miles. And, I think he's doing a hundred miler today. Oh, wow. Maybe that's crazy. And there aren't that many of them. You can't do them. I don't, I don't imagine that you can do a hundred mile race that many times in a year. 
and he's in the middle of one and, and he and I were talking, uh, I guess two days ago and he's talking about this race and I'm saying that I'm excited for him and, and wishing him good luck. And I realized, Oh, you know what? I'm never going to run a hundred miler. And there just aren't that many things in, uh, that you can do in a life that I've ever been prepared to say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Right? Like if you came to me with anything and said, are you going to like leave your whole life behind and go work on a crabbing boat? <laughs> I would not say no. Right. Okay unequivocally no i would say well i don't know i mean maybe like are you going to abandon everything are you going to abandon your family and pretend that you're dead and you know snip up all your ids and go live somewhere on the on the slab outside of the salton sea uh just like making little little like feathered roach clips for a living and and writing weird stream of consciousness poetry, or maybe writing one of those uh, all work and no play make Jack's, makes Jack a dull boy right, sure. uh, novels, where you just yeah. Uh, if you if you said that, I would go well. I shit, you know, there are a lot of things could happen in life. But am I going to run a hundred mile race? No, I'm never going to. And. That's, that was kind of weird. It was weird for me to say like, uh, that's on the list of things I'm never going to do. Like I'm never going to probably, I mean, this is the thing. Am I going to go to the moon before I die? I don't know. Maybe you don't know in the next 20 years, whether, uh, Jeff Bezos is going to debut his go to the moon program. And then the price goes down enough that it's like, yeah, for 10,000 bucks, sure, I'll go to the moon. It might happen. Am I going to be one of the first colonists of Mars? No, mm. I am not. That does not interest me. Going to the moon barely does, but, uh, but enough that I might. So, yeah, pretty weird to say I'm not going to, to run a 100 miler. But another thing I'm confident I'm not going to do is ever write a script to tell me if the contents of a web page has changed in order to order some star Wars. Well, it saved it. Say the script yeah. took like you know, two minutes to write. Well, it took like you was, two minutes yeah, to I'm write. I'm going to sit there reloading a page. No, it took like you, it took you eight years to write. The script itself took two minutes, but yeah, getting to the point that you could write that script in two minutes took you eight years. And that is not eight years. I'm going to ever spend you know, like it takes me, I could write a song in two minutes. I could write a two minute long song in two minutes starting now, but you know, it took me eight years. To, it took me 18 years to be able to do it. I get it. Um, but that list, that strange list that I think now that I'm, because yesterday, Dan, was my 49th birthday. Happy birthday. I didn't know that. I need to set a, a script to remind me of that. Well, don't. And all of you listening who are right now going to your Google calendars and thinking that you're going to put that in there and then tweet me on September 13th. I, 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 
I encourage you to reconsider. But 40, so next year I'm 50, right? And that's, that's a big deal. I remember when I turned 30 and for the previous three years, probably my, all through my late twenties, I adopted the, the pose that ah, I was basically 30. I've been 30 a long time, you know, but then I got to my 30th birthday, the day of my 30th birthday. And I was shocked at how different it felt to be 30 than it had felt to be 29. It really had a strong impact on me. Um, I would, I was never going to be in my twenties again. And it was like super interesting. Right. When I turned 40, it kind of wasn't the same. I didn't have the same like shock, but it, it did feel now anytime in your thirties, you can kind of be like, yeah, I'm 38, but I'm in my thirties prime of life. But then when you're over into 40, there are definitely some people at the low end of the, you know, late teens, early twenties, mid twenties who just don't even see you anymore. Like you're a person in your forties. You're right. just like, you're just, you start to become slightly, uh, transparent to, to people who feel like they are, you know, fighting that daily fight of being young. Well, now at the, at the cusp of being 50, I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like a year from now crossing over. Cause 49 is pretty, that is a number that really rings out in the yeah. hall. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. And a lot of my, a lot of the people that are in my social orbit are 41, 42 and 49 sounds weird to them. They're, all rattled by it. And I have, obviously I have a handful of close friends that are 52. Right. And they don't, it's not like they all of a sudden turned into, um, like old creeps any more than they were already old creeps when they were in their forties. But it's, a. there's something around being 49 that I'm starting. It's not a, it's not a bucket list. It's the opposite. Because I think a lot of the things that would be on a typical person's bucket list, I just sort of ticked off accidentally, right? There's not a, there aren't a ton of things like, I want to go to Machu Picchu before I die. It's like, nah, I'm sure I'll go to, that's an exa- another example. I'm sure I'll go to Machu Picchu. If I don't, it's because I didn't care enough. But, but almost certainly at some point along the way, someone will say, Let's go to the Galapagos and I'll say, yeah, fine. That's the type of thing that someone throws money at when they are past the point that they're willing to go to Mumbai right. and fight it out in the world to have a true adventure. They're going to go to the Galapagos because all that that takes is money and time. You go down, you go on one of those cruises to the Antarctic. Yeah, all that takes is money. You don't have to be in. Yeah, I don't have to do anything. Climb to the top of Mount Rainier. You have to train. You have to train for, you have to train for a little bit, be in some amount of shape and do some training. And then it's pretty grueling, but I still picture myself doing that. I go to the top of Mount Rainier. Joel McHale just did it like a couple of weeks ago. 
but that list is starting to grow of like, oh, you know what I'm never, ever going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like probably never, ever, certainly never going to run a hundred miler, never going to, never going to learn to computer program. I can, I can start ticking these things off. And it's, it's, that's sort of interesting to me. That might be a version for me of, of your keeping a clean house and keeping everything that, that you, that you care about and everything that's beloved in a coffee can. Right. For me, starting to eliminate possible adventures, life adventures is actually kind of freeing because that unlimit the unlimitedness of scope that I've always carried w- along, which is like, yeah, you know, I'll just, I'll book a cabin on a container ship and I'll just, <laughs> you know, I'll just go to Asia and throw all my s- documents overboard. And when I, <laughs> when I get there, I'll slip onto, slip onto the docks in the middle of the night and disappear with a bunch of, uh, gold doubloons sewed into my vest. Like all of that is wonderful, but it also is a little bit of a burden because, because increasingly, ah, I don't actually want to do that. I don't see, I don't see doing that except being pushed to, to do it. And maybe the advantage of having it as an option is that if I am, if everything goes to hell, which everything's not going to go to hell, but if everything does, I am prepared to do that because I've considered it for so long. I'm still prepared to do it. Um, to, you know, to being like a Cormac McCarthy, late period Cormac McCarthy novel, my daughter and me just in a, in a world of utter bleakness. But I'm, yeah, I'm starting to, I'm starting to put a line and there are some things going on the other side of it. But you know, Dan, I had a, uh, a good friend call me up not very long ago and he said, next summer, if I got you a, uh, if I like rented you a big enduro motorcycle, would you join a gang of us and drive up the Alcan uh, along the Arctic Hall Road to Barrow? as part of like an enduro motorcycle adventure that's being sponsored by fucking dingling motors or whatever. Uh-huh. KTM motorcycles or something. Okay. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. And he just wrote me not very long ago and he was like, okay, great. Well, I rented you uh, or I secured for you. I don't even think it's rented. I think it, these bikes may be donated as part of the adventure team. He's like, I secured for you a, KTM 900 with solid saddlebags and and I was like great oh I see this is not a theoretical go in a container ship this is the thing where things are being planned and he said you know so we're planning on this trip in July and I said oh no 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 you don't want to drive up the Alcan in July <laughs> that's when all the Winnebago's converge uh-huh. and the Alcan highway is an impassable traffic jam of olds driving their big land buses that they can't really control 
And it's just they're just stacked up on top of each other. That's you never want to do it in July. You want to do it in early June when no one is on the road and you just feel like you are the you're the king of the earth. Sure. And I thought I was I was throwing this out there and he was gonna write back and say, like, well, it's all planned out, so thanks for your advice. But instead he wrote back and he was like, Great, all right, we'll go in June then. And it's just exactly the kind of, that's exactly how this type of adventure should play out. Like, Oh, there's a guy from Alaska on the trip. Let's take his advice. And so, you know, that's a thing that I always knew would happen. Really? I always knew that I would one day ride to Barrow as part of a motorcycle adventure squad. Dan, I cannot, I'm not lying. I knew I would. It was just, it wasn't on a bucket list. It wasn't a thing that I had to do before I died. It just was like, yeah, I'll do that. One time I was up in the Arctic, above the Arctic Circle, actually, in a little place called Arctic Circle Hot Springs. And, And two people arrived there on Vespas who had ridden their Vespas up the Alcan. And this was, I, this was, I think even before I owned a Vespa and it may have been a major influence in causing me to buy my first Vespa when I was 15. These people had Vespa'd the entire distance. That's a long time to spend on that kind of little scooter. It is. Although many years later, I, I have a good friend in Seattle named Bo and Bo is one of these guys that you wouldn't naturally think like, Oh, here's a, here's a, an adventurer, but he is just a born adventurer. He's a, he's not a character that says like, I'm going to ride my Vespa up the Alcan. He just, he flew to India. He was dicking around in India, just doing whatever down in the South. And he said, you know, these buses are sketchy and he threw a couple hundred bucks at somebody and bought a Indian Vespa (laughs) and rode this Vespa all the way around and across India. And I think, I mean, I think he rode this Vespa to Pakistan or something. Wow. Not as part of a, an, even an organized idea. He just, he just like bought a Vespa one day and then rode it until he was in Pakistan and he's like doop to doop to doop and then sold it there to somebody probably for the same amount of money and off he goes trundling off into the next adventure building a raft and floating down the Amazon and and I mean I love that I love I love that like when I was in Europe in 1989, I actually was one of those people that traded a pair of Levi's, not for a car, <laughs> which you were, it was, there was actually a moment there where you could trade a pair of Levi's for like a Trabant. Although wow. I think that, that might just be a commer- a Levi's commercial, but I think, no, I think Levi's were worth that briefly in the late eighties to people from behind the Eastern, you know, but behind the wall, 
pair of Levi's was worth so much and a Trabant was worth so little. Maybe right after the walk. Anyway, I actually traded a pair of Levi's to a guy for for more than a pair of Levi's was worth. But I, but the idea that I would buy a Vespa in Mumbai and drive it to the other side, like, yeah, I assume I'm gonna, <laughs> assume I'm going to do that. But now this trip to Barrow is like it is manifesting itself, and like obviously I'm not manifesting it. It is just manifesting. Yeah. So, so that, whatever that, that life schema that I've had, which is just assume that it's all going to happen has, has worked generally. Like I didn't, I never intended to visit all 50 States. I just assumed I would. It was not an intention. And the day that I visited my 50th state, Mm -hmm. it was because I had business there. It wasn't that I was ticking them off. Right. Every single one of the 50 states, I went there because I had a reason. And that seems like a different thing than to visit all 50 states. It was never, it was never a thing. It was never a question of like, well, I got to go take a, a superfluous trip to Maine in order to tick it off. It was just like, oh shit, here I am in Alabama. That was my 50th state. Alabama. And when I get, you know, the, the fucked up thing, Dan, is I've never been to Barrow. When I, <laughs> my, you know, my dad was a, he like evolved into kind of this weird bush pilot as he got o- older. And in the nineties, he just started flying out. You know, we always flew out to weird places, but he started flying way out to way out places in Alaska that, that I still haven't been, you know, Unalakleet and Kuskokwim and all these places that were just an exponential adventure from, you know, from going to Kodiak. But when I graduated from high school, Alaska airlines had this weird program that didn't last for very long, but they gave every graduating senior in Alaska in the class of 1986, they gave them one round trip ticket anywhere Alaska, anywhere in Alaska. Wow. And I thought this is my chance to go to either Nome or Barrow because there isn't a lot of business for me in Barrow. There's a lot of business for people in the oil game up there but there's just no reason for me to go other than to just fly up there and be a tourist and come home but i but it just seemed a little bit like just logistically oh i've got to find a place up there spend what a long weekend up there i don't have a reason to do that really and i waited and waited until my ticket expired and i never used I probably should have gone to Nome instead. It's not like I have any more reason to be in Nome, but but I think there's there are more hotels probably in Nome. But I never said, well, that's the end. I'm never going to go there. I just I just 
And now here it is. So who knows? Maybe I will. Maybe I will get on a container ship with a vest full of diamonds and uh, and disappear for ten years. Everybody's like, "Whatever happened to him? Oh, I think he died." No, it's not true. He's just living on living on his diamond stash in uh, Macau somewhere. He's got an eye patch now. <laughs> 